What's going on, family? It's your man, GB, and welcome to another edition of The Faction Quick Hits. I hope you guys are doing well and you're enjoying the world that we're in, and it's always good times for sure. And some of us are probably on a massive SummerSlam weekend high, which probably should happen. And if we're honest, it's taken a while, or it's taking a while, to digest all that has happened in the world of pro wrestling over the last three days. It's been crazy. This is probably the most eventful wrestling weekend outside of a WrestleMania weekend that we've seen in probably modern history, if we're honest, you know, so it's a big weekend for sure. Lots to be said, and we've had quite a few big weekends this year, whether it was the weekend where the fans returned to pro wrestling, and really you could start that in the month of July. So there's been a lot that's been going on. The two-day WrestleMania earlier this year, right? A ton. With all of that said, this is a great time to be a wrestling fan, right? And it's a great time to be a fan of the faction. Thank you so much for your continued support of all that we do. It is wildly appreciated. Whether you're following us on the socials at Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Faction Show, or if you're subscribed to our podcast, thank you so much for what you're doing. We really, really appreciate it. So already, we've been getting some really cool feedback on our three-part plan to really recap all things SummerSlam. Many of you are enjoying it, so you get an opportunity to digest all that has happened really in the morsels that are probably appropriate for these types of things. So, if you missed our previous podcast, it was part one of SummerSlam weekend, which we called the first dance. It was all about the Friday night of SummerSlam weekend, which of course included SmackDown, Emergence from Impact, which many of you may have missed, and of course, AEW Rampage. Now then, it's time to move to Saturday night, Las Vegas, Nevada, Allegiant Stadium for SummerSlam. So let's start with this. This is a significant SummerSlam for a number of reasons. It's the first major WWE pay-per-view, and when I say major, you know, they have four, and one could argue five, but We'll stick with four right now, being the Royal Rumble, SummerSlam, WrestleMania, and the Survivor Series, and they want to make Money in the Bank the fifth one. It's been rumored, and certainly by next year, you'll be able to call it one of the big five. So with that said, SummerSlam historically is not held in a stadium. It's usually at an arena somewhere, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the largest attended SummerSlam, of course, was SummerSlam 92, which was also the first international SummerSlam. It happened at Wembley Stadium in London. Over 80,000 were in attendance. While Allegiant Stadium did not have capacity for 80,000, it certainly was the largest attended stateside SummerSlam. It's the first time SummerSlam was held in a stadium in the United States as well. So it was a really big deal. Allegiant Stadium, the home of the now Las Vegas Raiders, it's a big deal. And it became very clear from the outset that there's a really good relationship being established between the WWE and Allegiant Stadium. Let's start with the optics of this, right? There is something to be said about a full stadium of wrestling fans. It's far different than what you see at the Super Bowl. It's far different than what you see at the World Series. It is just a special and unique site. 
WWE does it better than anybody when it comes to handling these large arenas, when it comes to the staging of said arena. They do an incredible job, and certainly SummerSlam lived up to the hype. Now, I will say there was not a large stage for SummerSlam. They really looked to fit things to the stadium, and that's completely understandable with what they were able to pull off. I like the feel. It actually reminds me of old-school Madison's Square Garden, where they had the smaller tunnel, and the tunnel was right under where fans would come out, so it left more opportunity for seating, and I love that. 51,000 people at Allegiant Stadium, pretty significant number, I would say, especially in a pandemic, and I think we forget at times that there is still a raging pandemic that is out there, so if you aren't vaccinated, please get vaccinated. By now, the Pfizer vaccine has been approved by the FDA, so if that was the holdup, that no longer is an excuse. That's been cared for. If you're not going to vaccinate, that's your option as well, but please be responsible. Either way, mask up, wash your hands, stay apart, and if you can't stay apart, at least stay clean and be cognizant of the ability to exchange germs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's your PSA for the day. With that said, back to SummerSlam we go. All right, so it's time to get into this card, and I don't know if I should go match by match, hit the high moments or not, but this entire episode is dedicated to SummerSlam. So let's start with the kickoff match. Baron Corbin against Big E. Big E wins the match and manages to once again procure his money in the bank briefcase. I think this was an important match for a really simple reason. Baron Corbin, had he won this match, would have likely attempted to cash in. And if he had cashed in, we would have had another controversy on our hands surrounding the rightful owner of Money in the Bank. With Big E getting that briefcase, it gives him the opportunity to cash in. And should he cash in at a SummerSlam, that would be a big deal. It would not be a first for a SummerSlam cash in. There have been quite a few of those, which included, uh, I believe, Randy Orton, uh, Daniel Bryan and Sheamus come to mind immediately when you start thinking about SummerSlam cash-in. So that would not have been new territory. It would have been a big thing. I will say I'm glad Big E did not cash in. I think this was an event that had so many other big moving parts that a Big E cash in could have been overshadowed. And so we see why it didn't happen. Let's save that for another day, another event where Big E can get all the shine. Let's also say this. I think a SummerSlam that did not have the last dance happen the night before might have been received differently. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. But I will say that the bar was set really high by AEW, who kind of shocked the world, coming in hot with this. Nobody really, when I say nobody saw it coming, I'm not saying we didn't see the punk signing coming once they announced this event. I'm saying when WWE did their planning, they certainly didn't factor in this situation because nobody thought Rampage, of all shows, was going to be the show that would make this blockbuster announcement. With that said, it's another day, and SummerSlam goes on. First match on the actual card sees RK Bro, Randy Orton, and Riddle defeat AJ Styles and Omos to become the new Raw Tag Team Champions. I like this. I thought this was good. Right now, there's no more over tag team on Raw than RK Bro. 
It's amazing to me how Riddle has gotten over. I think when Riddle was on SmackDown, he was trying to find his way, trying to figure out what part of his unique personality would connect. I think on Monday Night Raw, he has found it. Being the goofy guy, which certainly seems like him, has worked. And then there's just something about the guy who admires the big jock on campus, the big jock on campus or the veteran being Randy Orton and Riddle and Orton coming together as a great tag team seems makeshift in some people's eyes, but they have great chemistry to go very far or as far as their partnership will allow them to. I will say that I always believed AJ Styles and Omos were the definition, the true definition of a makeshift tag team. Omos, obviously they were pushing him because of his size. I'm intrigued to see what happens with AJ Styles and Omos now that they are no longer the Raw Tag Team Champions. AJ Styles, there's nothing he can do that will cause his star to diminish, right? So even getting pinned in this scenario doesn't hurt him one bit. And he got pinned by Randy Orton, right? Like, that's just a win all the way around. So congratulations to Orton and Riddle, new tag team champions. I do think they're going to need some competition over there on Raw because there's not really much in the way in the tag team division. Now then, Alexa Bliss defeating Eva Marie. A couple of thoughts on this. For one, I definitely think this could have found its way onto Monday Night Raw. I don't think this was a match that was appropriate for SummerSlam. Let's also remember this is actually the first one-on-one -on -one activity for Eva Marie since she's been back in the WWE. That's interesting. I'll tell you what I don't like, besides the fact that I'm not really a big fan of Eva Marie in the ring. Alexa Bliss has been watered down ever since WrestleMania. Think about WrestleMania, if you can remember that far back, right? You've got Randy Orton versus The Fiend. Alexa Bliss is just like all over the place. She has this amazing intro for The Fiend. And then she interrupts the match by coming out of the jack-in-the-box with the black ooze coming down. And, I mean, it was like one of the darkest moments for Alexa Bliss. That was never resolved. The Fiend ultimately disappears. Alexa Bliss kind of, and there are people who are saying Alexa Bliss has taken over the Fiend character. She really hasn't. As dark and as menacing as that character was... Alexa Bliss has kind of been watered down. She's been spayed or neutered, dare I say. She's not the same Alexa Bliss that was with The Fiend or that had been influenced by The Fiend. I don't like this. This kind of reminds me of soda that had ice in it where the ice has melted quite a bit and you're still trying to tell me it's fresh soda. It's not. So I think there's gonna have to be some sort of uh, rebranding, retooling that has to happen with Alexa Bliss. I was a big fan of that character. I feel like it's way watered down. There was nothing special or supernatural that happened, which kind of is our whole thing. Uh, the doll Lily doesn't seem to have the power it once had. I don't like this. They've got to figure something out because Alexa Bliss could have and should have been far more menacing when it came to Eva Marie. She should have been far more dominant. And outside of that scream that happened when Eva Marie put her hands on Lily, something more should have happened with that. So I wasn't exactly pleased by that. And that was kind of one of those marks for SummerSlam that kind of dialed the event down a bit for me. 
Let's go to Damian Priest. He defeats Sheamus. I correctly predicted this as Damian Priest being the new U.S. champion. It just made sense. Damian Priest has had a rocket on him really ever since he popped up in WWE. From the moment of the Royal Rumble until now, he has been doing incredibly well. I don't even think he's actually lost on television. Of course, we remember him being paired with Bad Bunny for that incredible WrestleMania tag team match. And really, it's only been up from here. So Damian Priest, the new US champion, it makes sense. I thought it was a solid match. Like it or not, while Sheamus may not be the most exciting person in WWE, he is among the most consistent. You're going to get a hard-hitting match with Sheamus. You're going to get someone who is tough, who's hard to beat. So if you beat him, you earned it. And Damian Priest earned the US championship. So congratulations to Damian Priest. Now then, the SmackDown Tag Team titles, Jimmy and Jey Uso against the Mysterios. So we're running into a problem here, and here's the problem. I think we've seen this match too much. I think this match lost its luster, all right? If we think about it, these two teams have been fighting for about three to four months, and it'd be different if they only had one match in those three to four months that would make this particular match intriguing. But they've battled pay-per-view after pay-per-view. Then they've been battling on SmackDown in singles matches, etc. The concept of Rey and Dominic Mysterio is not intriguing. We also need Jimmy and Jay Uso to honestly either have uh, Paul Heyman walk out to the ring with them or some representation of the bloodline to stand with them. That needs to happen. Now, the Usos are absolutely a great team. You could argue they're right now the best team in all of WWE, be it SmackDown or Raw. But Ray and Dominic Mysterio aren't really bringing the things out of them. I think the luster, and I hate to say this, but Ray Mysterio 2021 isn't Ray Mysterio 2005 and isn't Ray Mysterio 1997, right? We've just got to acknowledge that. Time doesn't allow it. And in 97, he didn't have a 21-year-old son that he was teaming with. Dominic Mysterio is going to turn on Ray. I've said it. It's going to happen. It's not a dirt sheet thing. It's just got to happen. The seeds are being planted. This tag team has got to spontaneously combust sooner rather than later. It is, in my opinion, diminishing the shine of Rey Mysterio. I think Mysterio's WWE run this time around has been far less than impressive. I thought he had a better run in Lucha and I wasn't impressed with that run, but at Lucha, he was respected as kind of goat status, right? He's the luchador of all luchadors, so he elevates everybody there. Here in WWE, with this run, it's not been the same. I mean, let's think about it. This is the same guy who was in an eye for an eye match and got his eye allegedly pulled out during the Thunderdome era, right? I still don't know how his eye is in and it's good. Yes, it's been about a year. But uh, have you had your eye taken out? Do you think it just pops back in? And of all the things you can do is wrestle again? I know, I know. Continuity issues. Point being, Ray and Dominic Mysterio is getting old. Dominic's going to have to turn to make this interesting, though I don't think Dominic has enough of a personality right now to turn. Dominic is going to need to be influenced by somebody to make this turn, and he's going to have to have a mouthpiece. 
Though I'll tell you this, father versus son is always a natural kind of feud, right? There's always the son who wants to see if he's better than his dad and if he can move from under the shadow of his dad. These kinds of things make sense. I think it makes sense for Ray and Dominic. Meanwhile, Jimmy and Jay, much like the bloodline, continuing to be dominant. So it is right here where the pay-per-view takes a turn right and i'm going to reserve my commentary on this match well no 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 i have to go let's go with this order because this is going to explain kind of how i rate it and how i look at this whole thing so you've got bianca belair versus sasha banks easily one of the most anticipated matches of SummerSlam. You could argue it's a main event of SummerSlam. Not quite like it was a main event of WrestleMania just because of the magnitude of the other matches, but it is still a must-see match. It is an attraction. It's one of the things that people would have bought this pay-per-view for. I want to start here. There had been rumors that this match may not happen. And I thought, certainly WWE, if the match wasn't going to happen, if somebody couldn't participate, they would let us know ahead of time. Let's go back to Money in the Bank this year, the pay-per-view prior to SummerSlam. Two days before the pay-per-view, Bailey gets injured. Do they continue to promote Bailey versus Bianca? No. What they do is they tell us Bailey has been injured. She'll be out for up to nine months. We've got to find a suitable replacement for Bianca Belair, right? So these things, we have precedence for WWE telling us a match isn't going to happen. Sasha Banks has been MIA from the WWE since not this past weekend, but the weekend before when she didn't show for house shows. There was a rumor starting to float then. I don't know if WWE chose not to tell us that this match wasn't happening just because perhaps they held out hope all the way until the day of. That's a possibility. We don't know what the issue is with Sasha Banks, if perhaps she contracted COVID, if she had uh, some acting obligation, if there's something else going on. We don't know. So with that said, we'll reserve judgment relative to Sasha Banks, and we will say that we hope she is well and that she's able to return to in-ring competition soon. So what should the WWE do, you ask? Well, of course, the clear thing is to do is to bring Bianca Belair out to the ring and put her against Carmella. The same Carmella she beat the night before. The same Carmella she beat two weeks before that at rolling out. The same, right, so you get the point. Carmella versus Bianca Belair at SummerSlam is not what's going to fill the 50,000-seat arena. It's not what's going to excite the people there, and naturally, it didn't. Carmella's in the ring, Bianca's in the ring, Bianca's perplexed, and then the music hits. Boom. The return of the man, Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch is back. Exciting. A huge pop. Exciting stuff, right? Until you realize what's about to happen. You realize that Carmella's not going to have this match, which nobody's mad at. But now all of a sudden, Becky Lynch gets the match against the SmackDown Women's Champion and then proceeds to win the match in less than 30 seconds. A punch, a rock bottom, and a pin. And now we have a new SmackDown Women's Champion. So my thoughts on this, pretty clear. First and foremost, this was bad business. First of all, Becky Lynch was the Raw Women's Champion. 
She held that belt for over a year, winning it in the main event of WrestleMania 35, right? Actually, that night she became Raw and SmackDown champion, double champion, would lose the SmackDown title a couple of weeks after that, but would hold on to the Raw title for well over a year until she announced her pregnancy, giving up the title, awarding it to Asuka last year after last year's Money in the Bank. So it seems then that Becky Lynch would come back for the title she's never lost, the Raw Women's Championship. If Becky is going to go to SmackDown and battle for the SmackDown Women's Championship, wouldn't it be better served for us to watch the story built for that rivalry? I mean, the story writes itself, right? Here you have Bianca Belair, who has gone through Bailey. She has gone through Sasha, both of whom this year, two of them are two of the four horsewomen. Who would be the next one in line? Either Becky Lynch or Charlotte Flair. Have Becky Lynch return and challenge Bianca, and now we start writing the story. Becky Lynch's road back to championship gold, where she gets to now battle the new upstart, Bianca Belair. Bianca Belair, who is looking to establish herself as the new generation of women's wrestler, getting to battle the third part of the Mount Rushmore, or the four horsewomen of NXT, or the four horsewomen of pro wrestling, right? It's a story that makes sense that you build from SummerSlam to Survivor Series. You let some interaction take place you let Sasha have something to say let Bailey weigh in you let Charlotte weigh in this is something that gets a life of its own instead you completely squash what Bianca Belair has accomplished all year long from winning the women's Royal Rumble at the top of the year to main eventing WrestleMania to to really just doing all of the incredible things that she's done bad move the Becky Lynch championship win was very Hogan-esque. It felt very Hulk Hogan-like. Can I take you back, my friends, to WrestleMania 9? WrestleMania is pretty much over. Yokozuna has defeated Bret the Hitman Hart to become the WWE Champion. And all of a sudden, here comes Hulk Hogan out. And now all of a sudden, there's a challenge. And five minutes later, WrestleMania leaves with Hulk Hogan as the WWE Champion. When Hulk Hogan returned, WrestleMania 18, and he had that insane match with The Rock, the fans turned and started to love him. The next pay-per-view, he gets a title match against Triple H and wins the title? Well, let's even go back further. The birth of Hulkamania. Hogan comes into the WWE December of 1983 and all of a sudden gets a main event title match January of 1984. This is the Hogan treatment. And the Hogan treatment right now is not a good look. The squashing of a new star that you're creating is not a good look at all. So to that I say, Becky Lynch... Not a good look. Now, we'll get to see, hopefully, Bianca chase Becky. How long will this be? I don't know. Pretty sure Becky's not going to lose the title in their first match. I don't know what this means, but I don't like it. So how do you follow that? You follow that with two African-American Olympic gold medalists coming into the ring who want to be stars. And then that's followed by Drew McIntyre and Jinder Mahal. Whoever thought Jinder Mahal was going to actually win this match? In the words of Keith Sweat, that's what we've got. Why? 
didn't belong on SummerSlam. Now then to the Raw Women's Championship match. And I'm sorry, I'm going a little long. I apologize. So I'll try to wrap this up. Charlotte Flair defeats Nikki Ash and Rhea Ripley to become the Raw Women's Champion. As I said on the previous podcast with my predictions, Nikki Ash, that experiment needs to be over as the Raw Women's Champion. That made sense. I would have loved to have seen Rhea Ripley walk out as the new champion. I don't think her championship reign got the opportunity it deserved. And why? Because Charlotte Flair is once again the Raw Women's Champion. I don't even know what to say about this. Uh, I will say, though, that it was a great match. And I will say that Charlotte Flair did her good work. I'm tired of seeing her as champion. We've seen it now for 12 to 14 times, depending upon how you're keeping count. But Charlotte Flair is the Raw Women's Champion. Edge versus Seth Rollins gave us an absolute classic. A classic, a classic, a classic. These days, it is hard to give us a classic match where there's no championship involved. But they found a way. An amazing story. And, you know, Edge comes out with the brood entrance and then flips to his own. And like, oh, everything about this was great. I loved it. Edge versus Seth Rollins. A WrestleMania caliber match. Amazing story told. Just just incredible. I mean, absolutely incredible. Great work there. The WWE title, Bobby Lashley defeats Goldberg, I will say. Again, I predicted that one correctly, although I understand why people were nervous because we know the track record with Goldberg, but I do want to remind everyone of this. For all of the championships that Bill Goldberg has held, he has never, and I mean never, held the WWE title. He's held the Universal Championship. He's held the WCW Championship. He has never held the WWE title, and that holds true. I am glad that there is at least enough respect for Bobby Lashley for his historic championship run right now that they won't let Goldberg come and squash this. So congratulations to Lashley. And it's the first time I can remember Goldberg losing a match because of an injury. That's a big deal, folks. So shout out to the powerhouse, the almighty Bobby Lashley, continuing to do amazing things. That takes us, of course, to the Universal Championship match. Roman Reigns, John Cena. Every bit of a main event as we could have imagined. There was no ifs, ands, or buts as to what the main event was. It was this match. It's the match that talked everybody into the seat at SummerSlam. It's the match that had the greatest lead-up. It's the match with the greatest promos. It's the match that had the story with the nearly one-year reign of Roman Reigns in his best version ever be able to withstand the impending 17th title reign of John Cena. It's an incredible story. Would John Cena become guilty of what Brock Lesnar had once done and take the title and vanish off of television? It seemed as though the 17th championship reign was imminent, but they made a fatal flaw. I don't know if you noticed this. The fatal flaw was found in the merchandising. They made a t-shirt for John Cena that John Cena debuted at SummerSlam. He's wearing a t-shirt that says 16 up, right? It's a whole take on Super Mario Brothers. It has all 16 title reigns on the back of his shirt. It's a great graphic. Here's the problem. If you're about to win your 17th, why would we print a bunch of t-shirts that say it's your 16th? 
That's a fatal flaw. You kind of gave it away that way. Let's also say this. I don't think Cena was in his best form. I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it was really clear that this was not the John Cena that wrestled for 20 years. It's clear that Hollywood has gotten to him. It's also clear that Roman Reigns is in the stratosphere. Nobody can touch him. And so Roman Reigns winning this match, it was a great match, loved it. Again, I predicted that correctly. I don't think anybody saw what was next. Brock Lesnar returns to the WWE and returns looking better than ever, returns to really confront Roman and Paul Heyman. Talk about a story that writes itself. This is huge. So let's think about this. SummerSlam, we get the return of Brock Lesnar. We get the return of Becky Lynch. Becky Lynch becomes a SmackDown Women's Champion. Honestly, I think the way that Brock Lesnar was handled is the same way Becky should have been handled. Becky should have came in, had words, greeted the crowd, say, I want the title, and I'm challenging you in the future. Not I'm challenging you right now. It was just bad, bad, bad. We knew there was no way Becky was gonna come back and then get beat on her first time back. We knew that. So, all in all... It was a pretty decent summer slam. The highs were high and the lows were really low. I felt like there weren't enough highs on this one, especially since this is the only the second pay-per-view since the fans are back. So with that said, I want to hear your thoughts on SummerSlam. Let us know in the comments on the socials at The Faction Show. Our next show will be part three of our SummerSlam recap, which will be all about NXT TakeOver 36, which happened Sunday night and is in essence closing one chapter of NXT and opening another. We'll talk about that next time. We look forward to hearing from you on the socials at The Faction Show and make sure you are following us on all of those spaces on the socials and you're subscribed to our podcast. And next time again, it's SummerSlam, the recap, part three. Until then, representing from a good brother's Courtney Beard, Brandon Clack, and the fourth horseman, John Murray, my name is GB Gerard Bonner and this is The Faction. I my people, here we go.